Amen. Can we give the Lord another round of applause? It's kind of beautiful worship. And we invite you to come back Saturday night to worship with our Saturday afternoon. Actually, we've got our Christmas Eve services coming up this Saturday, 1, 2, 30, and 4. And I did this in the 8 o'clock just to kind of gauge, so I'm curious. How many of you just sitting here right now would say, I'll probably come to the 1? Raise your hand. How many of you would say, I come to the 2.30 in the middle? I'm a middle, I'm a middle worshiper on Sunday. I'll be a middle worshiper on Saturday. How, how many says, no, nope, 4 o'clock, that's my time? How many of you ain't coming? I respect <laughs> I respect your honesty. I, I respect your honesty. So 1, 2, 30, and 4, man, bring your family and friends. This is such a great night of, of worship, and we've always seen a ripple effect. We've seen how the Lord has used this season uh, as we enter into the new year, and so we're just praying for God to do a, a great work. Let me just say thank you. I don't know if you saw the lobby last week, but the entire lobby was filled with presents, and so let me just say thank you. That was all representative of our angel tree. Over 280 kids got served through angel tree ministry, so thank you uh, for that. Ten different schools that we were able to go to and provide uh, these gifts from this body of Christ. And so thank you for that. Close to $10,000 in gift cards were given, and so every year we exceed uh, what we did before. And so just thank you. you know, this is the way we want to love our community and obviously point them to, you know, loving, but pointing them to the love of God, that this gift you know, hopefully, you know, they will see that is a representative of the gift that God has given us, His Son. But thank you for your generosity. What an awesome thing to see all these young people going onto the mission field. I mean, be praying for them. For many of them, this is their Christmas break, and they're taking their Christmas break to go and to serve the Lord and to share the gospel. God honors that. He blesses that. But may we pray for them and just ask God to go before them. But what an awesome thing. I want to say this before I begin. This past week was my mom's 75th birthday, this past Tuesday. I don't think she would mind me saying that. And so, very thankful for my mom. Here's a picture of Tristan uh, and my mom, if you've never seen uh, my son and, and my mom. And that's not a picture of Tristan. For those of you who have been around a while, you will see the OP, and that represents ocean pacific so this is in late 80s picture and and let me tell you confidence covers a lot can i just tell you that right now as a 10 year old ain't got nothing to be confident in but that sideways smile that covers a lot right there <laughs> i'm thankful for my mom this is the same kid about that era when we were going through the search process you've heard it before and we were having dinner at the chairman of the search uh, committee's house and my mom and dad told me on the way there don't speak don't speak, don't talk, smile, nod your head, don't speak, don't ruin this for us. He is basically what they were saying. And so after the interview, they looked at me and Sean, my brother, and said, do you guys have any questions? I said, I got one. Y'all got any good looking women in this church? And that's what I asked. That little boy right there asked that question. Confidence covers a lot. Take your Bibles if you would. My brother looked at me and said, it doesn't matter if they do. What does that matter to you? But let's keep going. All right, here we go. <laughs> Very thankful for my family, thankful for my mom. Take your Bibles if you would and go with me to Romans, Romans chapter 1, the Christmas passage of Romans. And so if you've been with us, we've been looking at some different scriptures, not your normal just passages of the Christmas story. And I told you guys a couple weeks ago how easy it is, right, as a church kid growing up in the church, like how easy it is for this story just kind of, yeah, I know the Christmas story. Yeah, and to miss, again, to miss how captivating this is. We talk about all the time, living every day captivated and changed. There's nothing more than we should be captivated of than the fact that God became a man, 
lived his life perfectly and died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. You want something to captivate you? Don't let the passing things of this world captivate you. Let the fact that God died for you and for me captivate us. Can I get an amen? And so as we go through this series, we want to go a little bit deeper and just see Jesus in this. It's all about a person. And my prayer is through the season, through the traditions, especially this week as we gather with friends and family, that we don't miss the person. That we get caught up in the nativity and the manger and the symbolism, that's wonderful. Let's not miss the person. That God came to die for man. That's the whole point of Christmas. And you have to attach the manger to the cross. You cannot separate the two. That the whole reason that God came is the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? It means what? The good news. Why is it good news? Because you got to understand the bad news. And so understanding that Christmas is directly attached to sin is critical. Because the bad news sets you up to receive the good news, the gospel. The bad news goes back to Genesis 3.15, right? The first Christmas prophecy in sin has entered into humanity. God steps in. There's Adam and Eve. They're hiding themselves. They're afraid. It's the first time we see fear because fear is always attached to sin. And so there is sin. God steps in. He says, "Ah, uh-uh, Satan, you ain't won, right? You've won this little battle, but I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put separation between you and her seed. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And in that moment... The Father declared grace. In that moment, the Father declared a Savior, a Redeemer, one who would come to rescue us from our sins. And I think so many times we get to Christmas and it's the celebration and the joy, and it should be, but let's not miss that it's directly attached to my deepest problem and your deepest problem. That God came to die for sinners, that we might now be covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so as we're looking at this series, we're looking at these three titles, right? Son of David, Son of Man, and now this morning, Son of God. And he's got to be all three. As the Old Testament talks about the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, king, prophet, priest, all three in one, he's got to be three in one. Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God. Two weeks ago, we looked at Son of David, that the first place to disprove this man who shows up and claims to be king is just track his lineage. That we know that the prophecies say it will come through the line of David. Matthew presents the line of David through Joseph. Luke presents the line of David through Mary. So he is the son of David. If he wasn't, we wouldn't be talking about him today, 2,000 years later. That'd be the first place where they would disprove Jesus. Number two, the son of man. Not merely just his humanity, but we see that. And we talked about it last week where Jesus got tired, where Jesus got hungry, where Jesus got angry without sinning. Where Jesus was sad, where it says Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five. 35. He was fully man, but also, as we see today, son of God, fully God. 100% man, 100% God, one of the greatest miracles we see. Take your Bibles if you wouldn't stand with me in reverence for reading God's Word. Tie the message, son of God. We're going to look at the opening line of the Apostle Paul. But just like I told the 8 o'clock, and I've told you guys this in the, in the weeks before, be ready. We're going to go to a lot of different verses this morning. I pray you were able to read some of these verses this week as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Notice how Paul opens up his letter to the Romans. He says this in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, the Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, but don't miss verse four, and declared to be the son of God. How? With power, according to the spirit of holiness. But what puts the exclamation on the end of it? 
What puts the exclamation on the entire thing? By the resurrection from the dead. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can proclaim truth in this place, and we believe that your word is true. Lord, we believe that it's inerrant, infallible, and Lord, as we read Old Testament, New Testament, we see a person, we see Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. And as we see him throughout the word, as he is the word, Lord, may we not miss him at Christmas, the person, the God who became a man and entered into his own creation so that he might die for sinners. Lord, may we never get over that. Lord, each day, may we be quick to praise you for that truth alone, that we are walking in the righteousness of Jesus covered by the blood of the lamb. Thank you for Christmas, a promise fulfilled from the prophets of old. We now celebrate that God came for man. Lead us this morning, we pray. It's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So this is one of those things, right, that, that we know was attacked early on, first century, second century, third century, fourth century. The most attacked part of the doctrine of Christ was his nature. You have some that would come over here and say, no, no, he wasn't a man, this was a spirit. He was just kind of floating upon the earth. And so of course he was holy, of course he was righteous. Then there were others that say, no, 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 he was, he was flesh and bones and he got tired and, and he got thirsty and he got hungry, so he can't be God because God never gets tired, right? We know in the Old Testament, he never sleeps, never slumbers. If he's God, then how could he get tired? And so the nature of Jesus has been attacked throughout. However, as you study the gospels, you see what? You see his deity throughout it all. You see his authority over demons, right? Think about that when he walks upon the scene and there's a demon possession there, the demons recognize him as the Christ. Power over demons, power over death. We just talked about last week in raising Lazarus from the grave, the deity of God, his authority over nature. Let's just talk about that, right? One of my favorite passages, the calming of the sea, right? Where he tells the disciples, right? All this is below my feet. What you think is gonna take you over, I control, I have authority over. And so the deity of Jesus is something that really killed him. Let's be real. What led to the murder of Jesus? It was this claim. You wanna talk about the religious leaders infuriating the religious leaders. Let's go back to the Old Testament, the law. What is commandment number one of the 10 commandments? One God. Commandment number two, I do use my fingers, that's the way I taught my youth group. I could teach you real quick, but I'm not gonna do it. All 10 commandments. This comes back to when I was in seminary, I was waiting tables and someone asked me the 10 commandments, so I could only get to nine. And I figured, well, I better know the 10 commandments, I'm gonna be a pastor, so I've learned them. <laughs> First four, deal with God. Right, our vertical, because if our vertical's not right, then our horizontal's not right. Five deals with the relationship of, of family, parents, right? But the first four says, okay, if you wanna get everything else right, you better get this right. And we know that central teaching of the Torah, one God, no idols. So here this man arrives upon the scene proclaiming to be God. What is the thing that the religious leader said? Blasphemy. What killed Jesus? Blasphemy. Who does this man think he is walking around claiming to be God? Now understand, there's many different takes on this, right? You look at the different world religions, they believe in Jesus, but the question is, what do they believe about Jesus? Some say he was a prophet. Some say he was a great teacher. He was a good man. Understand this, if he truly was not the son of God, he was a crazy man because he's proclaiming to be the son of God. So there's really no in between. To say he's a prophet, he's a good teacher, he's a good man, no, no, he claimed to be God in flesh. What do you do with that? Well, let's look at some of these passages this morning. Romans 1, 4, Paul speaks of the Son of God with power according 
to the spirit of holiness. We see this title over 37 times in the New Testament. It is a distinctive title to Jesus. It is a messianic title. But here's the question, because many will say, well, I don't even think Jesus proclaimed that he was God. Let's allow God's word to speak to us this morning. Take your Bibles, go to John, if you would. Get your fingers ready. Don't pop them, because I get on to Tristan for that, and it drives me crazy. John 5, verse 16. Let's read some of these things that gives us a little bit of an insight in who Jesus proclaimed to be. This is the healing on the Sabbath, you know, all throughout his earthly ministry, right? Especially there in that final season, the religious leaders are trying to do everything they can to trip him up, to try to get to prove that he's not who he says he is. Well, he healed on the Sabbath and they said, aha, you broke the Sabbath. Look at what happens here. John 5, verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said, here it is, that God was his father, making himself, notice this word, equal. Now this goes back, the original language is isos, isosceles triangle. Now what do we know about an isosceles triangle? Three sides that are the same. That's the word that's being used there, Isas. He not only broke the Sabbath, but also God was his father, making himself equal, one of three, with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. Imagine a religious leader hearing this man proclaim these words. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. They were blinded by the fact, right? They had this picture of who this Messiah would be, like a, he's going to be a conqueror, right? He's going to come in and rescue them from the persecution of the Romans. He's going to set his throne and is going to rule, right? That's what the Bible speaks about. He's going to rule and all will fall under authority of him. They had a picture of what this Messiah would look like, yet they missed him. Because Jesus understood before the crown there had to be the cross, that it was a matter of substitution. And so here he is proclaiming to be God. Here he is proclaiming to be one with the Father. And the religious leaders look at him going, ah, we're going to kill you for this. Now notice what happens. Go to John 8, just a couple of chapters over to the right. If you've got your phone, scroll down. Don't check your email, John 8. Don't fake the fuck. Don't act like you're, you're really following and you're doing other things. Don't do that. I've never done it before. My dad used to have Sunday night services every Sunday night, and he would never cancel on the Super Bowl. True story here. So I would take a headset, should I be telling you this? I shouldn't. And I would run a cord down my arm and I would sit there and I would listen to the football game. And about the third quarter, my mom leaned over. I thought she was gonna rebuke me. She said, what's the score? John chapter eight. <laughs> True story, look at what it says here in verse 54. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. And so he's establishing, okay, you believe in the God of the Old Testament, he's your God, now let's keep going. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. 
And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Notice this, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? The eternal God speaking, they can't see because they're blinded. Co-eternal Father, co-eternal Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says. Verse 59, Jesus said to them, most surely I say to you before Abraham was... I am. Do you see that title? Do you see that title? I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. He always had control. It's what's amazing. You want to see his deity? It's the control of the crowd. We see it all the time. There's times after he fed the 5,000, the Bible said his own people tried to separate him and take him to make him king. And he said, nah, I'm going to be by myself. You see it over and over again with these religious leaders. We're going to kill him. We're going to stone him. It all fell upon the divine authority of Jesus. There was a timeline that was taking place, and Jesus had control over it all. Even in that final week, it wasn't that things got chaotic or got out of hand. Jesus was checking every box of the Old Testament. And this proclaim that he gives them, I am, they knew exactly what he was saying. Take your Bibles and go to Exodus. We know the story, Exodus 3, but let's look at it. This is the calling of Moses. Let me just read the opening verses of Exodus 3, because Jesus was there. He's proclaiming it in John 8. Have you ever seen Jesus in Exodus 3? If he's proclaiming in John 8, he's there in Exodus 3. It says this, now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, back of the desert, to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great thing, why the bush does not burn, verse four. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place, take your sandals off your feet for the place you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Jump down to verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children, I am has sent me to you. You can imagine the anger of these religious leaders. Who does this guy think he is? Son of David, okay, that checks out, okay. Son of man, born in the seed of, of righteousness, not in the seed of corruption. That's why the virgin birth is so critical. But son of God, the one in Exodus 3, he's claiming that I am, that I, he's claiming the great I am. You can imagine they're looking at him going blasphemy, blasphemy, and it all led to the cross. And the question was, who is this Jesus? It was the question that was asked 2,000 years ago. It's the same question that's been asked for the last 2,000 years. And individually understand, we can celebrate Christmas, we can do all the traditions, but it comes down to how you answer that question. When someone approaches me and they're like, oh, different denominations, we don't believe this, we believe that. My question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Because that's the separation of it all. When we stand before the Father, that's what we're given an account for. Who is Jesus? And for many, they're gonna say, he's a figure that I heard about and Christmas and Easter. The question is, do you personally know this Jesus? And there's no in between. You're either still in Adam in your sins or you've been born again, as he tells Nicodemus in John 3, born again in the spirit to now to life. Who is Jesus? And it's the question that they asked every time he spoke, who is this guy? 
Who is this king? He proclaims to be the great I am of Exodus 3. Who is this guy? He said that if you want to see the father, you see me. You want to hear the father, listen to me. Who is this guy? Watch this. Go to John 10, if you would. Verse 22. We're reading a lot of scripture, and we should do that in church. Can I get an amen? I'd rather hear those words than mine. Listen to this, John 10, 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Do you see that? These miracles were not just random, they were for a purpose. They were bearing witness of who he proclaimed to be. Where am I at? Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. That obedience will always follow faith, right? James says that faith without works is, it's one thing to proclaim it. He says, you wanna see it, they're gonna live it. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they follow me. They seek my voice. They desire my voice. They turn from those old things and they are moving this direction. And I give them eternal life. Think about it to a religious leader. What did he just say? He gives eternal life. He keeps going. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Praise God. Verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Verse 30. I and my father are one. Then the Jews, this seems to be a, a pattern here, took up stones against him to stone him. But it wasn't time yet. He had authority over it. And he said, Jesus answered them, many good works I've shown you from my father, for which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man proclaim, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, verse 36, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. Look at the invitation of verse 37. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And what an amazing passage of scripture. I mean, again, here is Jesus proclaiming, I and the Father are one. And the invitation is this, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe my words, just watch my works. I mean, that's what he says, right? Seeing is believing, he's performing all these miracles. He says, you're so caught up in me proclaiming these things and there's blasphemy, okay, don't worry about my words, watch my works. Because if I am truly God, you will see the miracles flowing and we see it all throughout the gospels. And don't miss that invitation. You know, so many times when I've read these passages between him and the Pharisees, can you imagine arguing with someone who wrote the book? I mean, let's just be real. Like you're arguing points against the guy who wrote the book. He is the word. And so that's a, that's a, you're not gonna win that battle. Let's just be real. I remember in seminary, in my Greek class, I showed up second semester and I realized I was in trouble because my professor's name and picture was on the back of the book. I'm like, this is not a good sign. If he wrote the book, this is not a good sign. Jesus wrote the book. Can I get an amen? He is the book. They're arguing against him, who he is. The word became flesh. He is the word. 
And he says to them with an invitation of grace, you don't believe me? You can't get past who I'm proclaiming to be? Watch my works and then decide. I saw this quote and I thought it was so good. Speaking of what I believe is the greatest miracle in scripture, the incarnation of Christ, it says remaining what he was, he became what he was not. While Jesus continued remaining what he is, that is fully divine, he also became what he previously had not been, that is fully human as well. Jesus did not give up any of his deity when he became man, but he did take on humanity that was not his before. You wanna be captivated again, the God who created this universe to enter into time and space, the eternal God? We live in time and space, he's eternal. And the Bible says all things were created through him. So he entered into his own creation. Have you ever thought about that, right? That the cross, the tree that he was now to, he built, he created that. He created it. And then he died upon it. You wanna talk about being captivated at Christmas, right? Let's not get caught up in the lights and the traditions. Let's get caught up in the fact that God became man to die for me. That in my worst place, in my sins, he solved my greatest problem. And my greatest need was forgiveness and redemption and covering. I think about Matthew 1 and the announcement to Joseph. I think Joseph is one of the unsung heroes in the Christmas story. When I was a kid growing up, we used to do a live nativity. I've told you about this before at Kempsville Baptist Church. Uh, it was always a tradition we looked forward to. And it was a live nativity right on Prince Suzanne Road. They changed it a little bit where my dad's church is now set back couple of streets, which is weird. I get confused every time I go over there. But at the time, it was right on Princess Anne Road. And so people would come by, people would stop, and we had live animals out there, which was always fun trying to catch them. And so the, the, the goal was to be Joseph, if you were a dude, because you got to sit down the whole time. That was kind of motivating, that you didn't have to be the angel standing up real cold, you know, not moving. You got to sit down at a bell hair beside Mary, which was usually a cute girl in the youth group, let's just be real. So I love the story of Joseph. I love the character of Joseph. He is an unsung hero. You wanna talk about faith as we're coming off this series of faith? Put yourself in his shoes. Yes, Mary, but put yourself in his shoes as the man. Have you ever been in a place where you know the promise? The promise is declared by the angel, but yet you can't see how God's gonna connect the dots. What does it require? It requires, and without faith it's impossible to, think about the faith of Joseph. Hey, your girl's pregnant but she didn't treat, cheat on you. It's God's child. That's quite the excuse. Oh, I didn't cheat on you, Joseph. God formed this baby in me. Oh, that sounds real good. So here's the promise, but the question is life. God's given me the promise, but how does it fit into the circumstance of life? I think we can all identify with that, right? If you know Christ and you're following Christ, you hold to the truth of his word. And so many times like Mary and Joseph, you know truth, but you can't connect the dots. What does it require? Faith. That in God's timing and God's way, he does things, let's be real. And I know many of you could come on this, this stage and share testimony. He did it in a way that blew my mind. I spent hours trying to figure out and I wasted, like I was sitting in a rocking chair trying to get across the street. A lot of time, a lot of energy, but I ain't going nowhere. And so, Lord, I give you faith. Think about Joseph. Hear this in Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, virgin birth, critical. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, I love that. Have you ever been in a season that you're just thinking about 
these things. And the enemy loves to kind of cast doubt and, and, and counter to truth. But in the season of thinking about things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, there it is, lineage back to the throne. Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I mean, these were real people, a young Jewish girl, right? Many believe probably about 14 years old. Now all of a sudden, the scandal, I mean, it's scandalous. Oh, she's pregnant, but her and Joseph didn't hook up. That's God's child. She, the Holy Spirit conceived a child in her. Imagine. And they're walking in faith, but they're living their life. Think about Mary's encounter, Luke 1, Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She is speaking of her intimacy. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one, righteous seed, not the seed of Adam of corruption, but the seed of righteousness, that holy one is to be born, will be called, here it is, the son of God. Imagine the faith required to say, I trust that, and I'm gonna live that no matter what anybody else says. I think sometimes we miss the struggle in the story of Christmas. And we know the, I mean, John 1:14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. But understand this, I man, it all hinges upon the virgin birth, it does. I've heard God stand on the stage and, and speak against the virgin birth. Listen, if Christ was not born of a virgin, he needs the same thing that we do, a savior, a redeemer, because he's born into the seed of corruption, he's born into Adam. But this great miracle happens, and because of that, in the plan of God, it allows God to become a man and die as a substitute for the sinners of this world. Listen to what this quote says. It says, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Hear this. The whole superstructure of Christian theology is built upon it. The essence and the power of the gospel is that God became man and that by being both holy God and holy man, he was able to reconcile men to God. Jesus, his virgin birth, his substitutionary atoning death, his resurrection, his ascension and return are all integral parts of his deity. They stand or fall together. If any of those teachings is rejected, the entire gospel is rejected. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth points to the reality of the incarnation. The incarnation points to, to the exclusivity. Can I say that? Of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? John 14, 6. I've had people come to me and say, well, you believe Jesus is the only way? What about a committed Muslim? What about a committed Hindu? What about a committed bull? They're devoted to serving God. I would say Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know why? Because only Jesus did what Jesus did. Only Jesus lived the life that was perfect and then died as a, as a substitute on the cross. So he, there is no other way. And this theology of who he is is critical to our understanding. John tells us that, right? We looked at it last week. If you go to 1 John 4, it says this in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. He said, you want to test them? Here's a litmus test. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. How amazing the Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might now become the Son of God. Think about that. John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He had brothers and sisters. We talked about this last week. You know, I'm intrigued by those, those you know, circumstances in his life that we don't know. We only have that one picture of him being 12. Like what happened when his, when his brothers and sisters you know, heard that, oh, well, we thought something was up with him. Ain't never seen him do anything wrong. And Joseph says, hey, he's God. And they would say, no way, no way. And he would say, Yahweh, Yahweh. <laughs> I, set y'all, I set y'all up for that one. Why did it have to go down this way? Listen to this in Matthew 1, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and now he quotes 700 years early, Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a capital S son, and they shall call his name, say it with me, Emmanuel. They shall call his name, say it with me, Emmanuel. You want to talk about being captivated? Be captivated that God came for you. That he came into his own creation in flesh and bone. He put this on and became a man helpless as a baby, relying upon those he created to feed him, to change him. And he came for one reason, to die for you and I. And at Christmas, let's not miss him. With everything, let's not miss him. This is a personal story for you and a personal story for me, that he found me, that he sought me. Can you identify? That in my low places and the things that I were seeking of this world that brought this void in my life that just continued to grow, his grace and his mercy and his goodness pursued me. And a miracle of all miracles, that he would enter into his own creation and then die for me. The Bible says, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He said no words because that's why he came. And it was all under his control. It didn't go down until it was supposed to go down. And what's amazing about this is I've heard people try to disprove. There are over 350 prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. He fulfills every one. I mean, this is like, you want some scientific uh, 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 basis for this, right? If you go back just to eight, let's just take just eight of the prophecies. You've probably heard me say this before. The chance of one man fulfilling just eight of those prophecies is one in one to 17 zeros. And I don't even know what that number is. That's the chance. Just eight. And over 350, after 2,000 years, every box been checked. Who is this Jesus? That's the question. That's the question. It was the question that was asked then. It's the question that's asked now. And it's a personal question. It's only between you and the Lord. Who is this Jesus to you? Is he personal to you? Do you know him? Do you talk to him? Do you seek him in his word? Just take inventory. I'm only asking you things that you can answer. No one else can. 
What position does he hold in your life? Is he the center or is he just a part? Because if he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then the position he holds must be the throne of our hearts. Who is this Jesus? Son of David, son of man, but the son of God? If you go back and you study John, right? John's a little bit different than the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It comes some later time, but the central theme of John is believing, that you may believe, that you may believe, because all of this means nothing if you don't personally believe. Because there will come a time, hear me, and there's no coincidence that every one of us in this place hear what I'm saying. There will come a time and we don't know it. Just this past week, I spent an hour and a half with one of our members on Monday. Someone very dear to my heart. And the family is in a position this morning to make some hard decisions. We don't know. When that time comes, the only thing that's gonna matter is who is Jesus to? And can you say he's the one who died for me? He's the one who saved me. Hear these words, John 20, verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But here's the point. He sums it up in verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God. And believing, this is what it leads to, right? And believing you may have life in his name. With every head bowed and every eye closed. It's the week before Christmas. It's the Sunday before Christmas. I want you to hear this real quick before we close. We can't separate sin from Christmas. I know it's the good news, right? That's the gospel, the good news. But why is it good news? It's because of the bad news that there in Genesis 3.15, sin and into humanity and every one of us in this place was born in that curse. We were born into Adam. So your greatest need, my greatest need is to be forgiven, delivered and born again through the power of Jesus. And the Bible says, for those who call upon the name of Christ, they shall be saved. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you are saved through faith. There's nothing on the outside you can do. This is your heart right where you're sitting right now. So I just simply ask everyone in this room, if today was the day, what would your response be? Who is this Jesus to you? This week, as we go through the traditions of Christmas, may we not miss the greatest miracle of all, that God would come into his own creation to die. Listen, if you're seeking your value, your worth, or identity, it's not found in the passing things of this world. It's found in the fact that God died for you. Who is this Jesus? I pray this morning that everyone in this place can say, my Savior, whom I have put my faith in alone for eternal life. I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you are. I'm gonna to go to the Lord in prayer. Each week to my left, to your right, our spiritual response team will have pastors. And I'll say this and I mean it, the invitation never ends. I say that because I've been in this setting and I've walked out and I've tried to downplay the work of God. And I pray that he is relentless upon you. 
I pray that you're nice in the parking lot, but I pray that he is relentless upon you, that you'll keep hearing that question, who is Jesus to you? And the captivation of, of Christmas would not be all this, it would be Jesus alone. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. You are a God that fulfills your promises, and we thank you. The greatest promise of all, Genesis 3:15, one born of the seed of a woman would come to win. And because of that, we stand victorious today. We're not fighting for anything. You have called us to walk in the victory. And the exclamation point upon us all is not the cross, it's the empty tomb. We thank you that we serve upon, we call upon the name of Jesus, who not only died, but who rose again. We're the only ones who can say that. We're the only ones who can say that. So Lord, when our time comes, may we stand before you with confidence and boldness before the throne of grace. See, I'll tell you who this Jesus is. My Savior, he rescued me. He saved me and he walks with me. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we would not lose sight as we go through the traditions of this week of the person who came for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you today that he is exalted, sitting at your right hand, interceding for us. We give you praise for the Son of God who came and died and rose again. It's in his name we pray, and alone, his name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We will see you this Saturday. Even those who said you ain't coming, may God be relentless in getting you here on Saturday. God bless you. Have a great week.